0: All right, morning. My first time doing this here. This is really exciting. Um, a few people have asked about this, by the way. What's going on with the TV um, right next to the preacher? Because everything's changed. Um, just to say, two reasons. One is video, because we film, and uh, often you don't know what's on the slide. The other reason is to stop us doing this. So over there, because it's now way behind us. So it's kind of a, a new thing for us, just to try out. Um, Hopefully, it's useful. Um, so my name is Andy, I'm one of the elders part of the leadership team here, and um, very excited to bring you uh, my preach, my message, which is a two-parter. Um, so it's a two-part message, which um, is going to start with a call to perhaps shock us out of uh, a complacent attitude to something we totally take for granted. Um, and then I intend to use a really popular and wonderful psalm to help us deal with one of the greatest issues we face um, Today. Every day, really. And as a result of all that, I just pray that, um, as in this series, we'd be just transformed in our way of thinking, shaped by the glass that we sort of just saw demonstrated, shaped by the Word, shaped by Jesus. And at the end of all this, I'm hoping I'm going to give you some stuff that's useful to deal with this issue, that if you don't suffer from now, you will at some time in your life. It's one of the challenges of modern society. So I hope that sounds good and helpful. Um, So if you've been away or you're new to this church, we're in a series called Transformed. Um, and during last week we started we've been look we looked at being transformed by in your spiritual health and throughout the week we've been doing devotionals and we've had midweeks groups focused very much on that transformational thing and we're going through this for seven weeks and the hope is that we will be shaped and transformed by what we're going through um, by this entire series hopefully this week has started to help shape your spiritual health it certainly has mine we have a whatsapp group in our small group the thing's on fire. It's just continuous. I just picked it up this morning. I haven't even read it yet. Let's just have a little look. How many we at this morning? It looked like 19 or something. Of Just messages flowing in on this group. I think it's at 18, before we even got to church. Um, because people are just feeling God's starting to move. And if, I just want to say, if that's not where you're at, stay with this. I think this series is going to be pivotal for us as we move into this place and be shaped and transformed. Today, we're going to be moving on to the next, which is being transformed by... By your, f- um, your physical health, so your physical health being transformed, which I was the obvious choice, naturally, being at the f- peak of physical fitness, as you can kind of <laughs> tell. Um, not really. Um, I'm at the age where most extreme movement requires vocal accompaniment of some description. <laughs> I've kind of reached that point in my life where, um, you know what I mean, you're getting out of the couch. At my age, there's definitely a noise, from my mouth, by the way, just to clarify, <laughs> I'd even go there there's definitely a noise and sometimes it's an actual phrase that's required to get out of a chair um it's sort of involuntary so sometimes it's just that you know that is required to get up other times it goes to here we go you know there's that getting out of the chair or kind of the customary up we get it's kind of needing to explain that I'm going to move I think I have to tell myself things are going to happen Andy and you need to get ready to to stand up um if you, if you haven 't started doing that you 're thinking what 's he talking about? It will come <laughs> at some point in your life. you will start to, to comment commentary on your own movement it's kind of it 's even worse in the morning. So getting out for be- Jane—is Jane here? Is she, uh, she's with the crash. Good. So getting out of bed in the morning. Um, my wife is Jane, by the way, just to clarify. Getting out of bed in the morning—we're not Brad and Angelina. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. If you've ever seen that film, that's Brad and. They'd probably get out of bed and go, "Morning, darling." Well, I don't know at the moment. I hate you. Don't know what's going on with them too. But they get, we, don't. we, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, that live. Uh, really, our, get up, our getting out of bed is a cacophony of clicks, things snapping into joint. And I tend to turn all Yorkshire at that point. There's a lot of E and E as I get up. I use every vowel. It's like E, E, I, or U. That's me getting up out of bed in the morning. It's got a lot going on. And the reality is we can focus a lot on the negative aspects of our bodies and what's not actually working and what aches. And we can look at our weight and we can totally lose just how absolutely amazing a creation we actually are. So firstly, I want to say two things. Firstly, this body, this one here, is an amazing feat of engineering. Thank you very much. (laughs) Here's eight facts I found, eight amazing facts about your body. And they're all regardless of how well you feel, how fit you feel. Your body is doing this stuff right now. So here you go. Your body is made of about seven octillion atoms. That's the number for octillion up there, here. Yeah, got to not do that, Andy, do this. That's seven octillion. That's how many atoms your body is made up. There are 37 trillion cells in your body. Your stomach acid sitting inside your gut can dissolve metal. And there it sits inside your stomach. Your skin outer layer sheds every two to four weeks, amounting to about 0.7 of a kilo of dead skin in a year. Charming. Your eyes can distinguish between 2.3 and 7.5 million different colors. I thought there was like nine. No, there's distinguishing apparently, you know, there's all these but it can distinguish between that many. Your nose can differentiate between one trillion different smells. This one amazed me. Your fingers can feel a ridge as small as thirteen nanometers. So on a on a smooth surface it could feel a ridge seven thousand five hundred times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. Your finger can feel that. Your heart beats at 100,000 times per day, pumping 5.5 litres per minute, which adds up to about 3 million litres of blood being pumped in a year. That's all going on, and it's nothing to do with sport. That's just what's happening right now in the body that you have, whether you feel fit or not. But secondly, that's incredible feat of engineering. But secondly, and more importantly, regardless of how I feel about it, my form, my shape, interesting about the glassing, is awesome to behold. I'm sure you agree. Well, you should. You should look at me and have a moment of absolute awe. (laughs) Drink it in. But you too. Even that photo, or perhaps every photo, as with my daughter, that she doesn't like, even those photos of you that you don't like, you hate them, when you look at it, look at it and have a moment of awe and realize Genesis 1 26 to 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Man and female, he created them. Now, while I'm not saying God literally looks like me, the reality is, God is spirit. That's a complex question. That one about, "What well, does God? What does God actually look like? Does he? Do I look like God? Does God look like me?" It says He made the man and female in His own image. But I look nothing like Hannah. I look nothing like Lorraine, Vivian, Ruth. I don't look anything like you. So, which one of us is the closest resemblance to God? Probably me. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but what does what does God look like then? Because I don't look anything like Ruth or the rain. My view is, the answer to that, what does God look like? Does he look like us? Is a yes and no answer. God created us to be like him in so much more than just this body that you see. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But the reality is that this form that we hold somehow reflects God. That he created us in his image. So something about this is created to reflect God. We're given a body with this incredible capabilities. And I don't just mean the ability to do extreme sports and climb mountains, amazing though that might be. The fact is, we're, that's impressive, but so are we all. We can do so much more with this form that he has given us. Let's just think about that for a moment. I can hold you when you're in pain. I can comfort you when you're in distress. As a surgeon or a nurse, I could minister healing. It's amazing we've got so many nurses in this church. I can minister healing to you using this form. I can speak words of guidance and of encouragement using my mouth. I can prophesy using my mouth. With these hands, I can plant seeds. I can tend a garden. I can even tend a farm. I could chop vegetables, make food for myself, but more importantly, I could feed you, and I could feed the needy. I could show you love, I could hug you, I can kiss my children, my wife, I can kiss my dog. I can teach you by using my hands, my body, and my voice, and my mind. I can entertain you with aspects of this body. I could tell jokes, I could act, I could potentially even dance, but no one wants to see that. I could bring joy that way, I could bring laughter that way. If you fall, I can pick you up. I can support you, maybe even carry you away from danger. I could defend you with harm using this form that God has created on me or with me I want to challenge the simplicity of the idea we're just made to look a bit like God and open up the realisation that we are made in his likeness we are made in his likeness not to be like a cut out shape but actually we're given abilities like his like those there those different things that we can do And look at what I just said. With this physical form and its capability, I can care, comfort, feed, support, encourage, guide, love, defend. Sounds like Jesus to me. You and I are made in the image of God to do more than just be some kind of a cardboard cutout in the shape of God. And it's amazing that it fits so well with the more we spend in with God, the more we're shaped by him to be like him. No other animal. What animal can do that? None. They can do bits of it, aspects of it. We're the only ones that's like God. That means we're to think more highly of ourselves than we actually do right now. Many of us need to realise that we are like God if we follow his ways and we administer those things, those care, love, support, feed, encourage, guide, love, defend. Now here's the rub. Here's the challenge. Is the reality. So, why do we struggle with this? Why do we struggle to be t- transformed in our physical health? Many of us recognize that sort of that, those things I've mentioned. We mentioned it, but we struggle to live in the reality of it. We struggle to live with the peace of it, and perhaps even the joy of it, of this form. Well, as you may gather by now, especially with this series, we say that the physical is not just flesh and bone. It's at the core of the transformer series, it's in the kind of Romans 12.2 verse that we've used so many times recently, and it's at the front of the books. If you've got your journals with you, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is a physical thing involved in this form. So when we talk about physical health, it starts up here in our minds. That's where transformation comes from. You can do stuff to change your physical fitness, but you can't actually change the form that you are But it's the mind that we want to look at the transform to transform and see that transformation come. And what's the greatest reason, do you think, for right now, people taking time off work in the UK today? It used to be back pain when I was younger, but it's not anymore. What is it? Stress. Stress. Stress interfering with the mind. Many psychologists, Rick Warren himself and pastors, the preachers, break stress down into lots of different subcategories. If you look at Rick Warren's series, which he wrote this series, when you look at his preach on this, he breaks it down to seven different ones around physical health. But I want to focus on uh, three. And I named the series after them. I called it this. So my, se- my preach today is called Worry, Hurry, and I Can't Pick a Curry. <laughs> yeah, it'll make sense later. There was a moment of prayer like, I, can't, I need something to rhyme with hurry, and, and, and curry came. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take you there. Come on a journey with me about that. Okay, so stress. Some stress is a good thing. It can save you from danger. It can protect you from issues. To not care can harm you. It can cause you all kinds of issues. But extreme stress means your body never really shuts down. And in our society, many, if not all, are suffering from undue levels of stress. Some to the point of it being debilitating. Medical research has proven that stress reduces life expectancy... It puts too much strain on your systems. You're not shutting down enough, and that's not a new phenomenon. Everyone thinks this is some scientific revelation. Proverbs fourteen thirty says this: "Peace of mind makes the body healthy." If you look at that's the ESV. If you look at other translations, it says, "A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh." The New Living Translation even puts it this way: "A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life." This isn't new news. This hasn't been discovered by science. This has been around since the Psalms were written thousands of years ago. So the opposite is true, yeah? The opposite is true. Conversely, you'd say that not having peace of mind causes a lack of health. Not being relaxed shortens your life. So I want to look at what these three things are. I want to look at them close up. I want to actually try and explain what we can do about each one. I've kept it down to three because I figured you'd just forget as soon as we walk out of the room. So that's why I want you to remember, worry, hurry, and I can't pick a curry. Now, fortunately, there's this wonderful psalm. It's a blissful psalm. Many of us know it. And if you don't, you should learn it. We learned it at school at my, at my age. Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. So in a very, very un-X1, un-Christ-like, uh, Christ-first-like, sorry, style, we're going to read it out together. And then we're going to unpack it enough to see what God wants to say to us. Then afterwards, I'm going to encourage you to incorporate incorporate what we're learning today into your prayer life for this week. Start to pray this stuff over you. I've been praying it over me since I've started to prepare for this. And then right at the end of this message today, I'm going to encourage you to come forward. I want to pray for us. And if you want to stay behind, we can pray into specifics for you. But as many of you as want to, this is the beauty of this space. We suddenly have space. To come forward and be prayed for about anything that's speaking to you in this message today. So, we're going to read it out together. We're going to read the ESV version. If you don't have that, I'll put it up on the screens and you can read it with me. But it's the ESV. Let's just read it out together. I'll start and read along with me. Let me make sure it's there for you. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. amen that's why we learned it at school that's why we learned it to literally be able to repeat it over and over again because it's such a wonderful reassuring psalm even if we can't live in the truth of it sometimes it's incredible what that one does so it's one of the ones that we learned at school written by David often used now in times of darkness and distress to reassure but let's use those words from God And through God, to anesthetize this, um, the the opposite of that, to to apply some kind of a balm and to bring an antidote to those many forms of stress. So I'm going to major on the first section of Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3, the first section you see up there, uh, up to the even though. So up to here, so this part of it. I want to use that strong. And applying some deep truth of 1 to 3... I believe this final part can become real to us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what I want you to walk away feeling and understanding and breathing in. So here we go. Worry. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We worry about so much today because there seems so much to worry about, so much more to worry about. Life seems so complex the, there's more expectation placed on us and more expectation that gets placed on us, placed on me, the more inadequate we seem to feel. So the first thing David is telling us is look to God to meet your needs. And for me, knowing the difference between needs and wants is really important. In fact, another translation of this says it even clearer for me and many more use this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or there is nothing I lack. What do you need? You need food. You need shelter. You need security. And ultimately you need fellowship with God. That's what we need. That's what I need. So no one in this church should lack any of that. If they do this, church is here as a physical entity to provide it. If you lack shelter or food, we should be able to provide that. Security, we should make you safe. And God's always open to build the relationship with him and so are we. Through Jesus Christ, he restores a relationship. So when the Lord is your shepherd, every true need is met. So never, ever put your security or my security in a want. Because that can get taken away from you. Job, finance, relationship, marriage, possessions, even your health, even your looks can all be taken away. But when you put your faith in Christ and ask him to come into your life, and restore that relationship with God, that's what you truly need, and that can never, ever be taken away. Romans 8 says, Since God did not even spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else we need? So one of the keys to de-stressing is worship and thanksgiving. thanksgiving that he's meeting your needs we may want a lot of stuff and this culture drives so much wants and tells you that you need a jacuzzi you need ultra hd you need you don't need we need those things shelter food security and a relationship with god that way i lack nothing so praying in the morning starting the morning in an attitude of worship and thanksgiving. And I know that's going to make some... Yeah, you, you should see my day, Andy. Well, you should see mine too. I'll talk later about, you know, nothing's going to change unless we change something. I'm going to come back to the end, but I want to move on to, to hurry. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We need to obey if they use the word obey, not very popular anymore, we need to obey God's clear instruction throughout the Bible and from the beginning and to the end. And oh, I need to listen. Me, I need to obey God's command to rest. I am stubborn against rest. I feel guilty for resting. I'm terrible at it. We need to rest. I bet right now you've got more than 20 things you could write down on a paper that need doing this afternoon when you get home. 20 would be a low number for me. I, was, I sat down in, in, uh, sat down in uh, our bathroom. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. <laughs> and uh, I thought that... that we, we decorated when we moved in recently. We moved in three years ago, and the first thing we did is we put a new bathroom in because they didn't have a shower. And they only had baths, so that went in. The new floor and new skirting boards. And they sat there thinking... Skirting boards peeling, bottom of the shower needs replacing. That's the room we've done. There's a a bunch of other rooms we haven't touched yet. That's just sitting there at the back of my mind constantly, constantly. There's so much to get done. There's so much to do. I I looked this morning. 183 unread emails in my inbox on my phone. I'd encourage you to have a look now, but don't. But just look at that little green bubble, if you've still got it. Once that had 1,160 on it. Jess went, like, "How many emails are you not reading?" I said, "It's just, I just, it's junk, and I miss the proper ones. I just can't get to them all." That's just seven days. I've got 183 unread ones. I looked, having cleared it out. God created you in a way that requires rest. Without rest and sleep, our body and our mind shut down. He could have designed us differently but he didn't. Why did he design us to require sleep? Why did God rest himself? Why is it such a big point in the beginning of the Bible, on the seventh day? Have you ever wondered, why does God get tired? Does he need to sleep? He's modeling something, a time of rest, a time to wonder, a time to worship, a time to reflect. So wonder why we're stressed why i get stressed because i've forgotten how to rest so here's the advice and instruction from david it's in the psalm he makes he makes like i know you're going to resist i'm going to make you lie down in green pastures in exodus the israelites were told to stop everything on the seventh day and they would have been at harvest times stop but it's, but but stop stop and rest Stop from all work. So church, rest is not sleep, although sleep is good. Rest is about recreation, a refocus and a recharging. They were made to stop. And then in Psalm 23, he gives us a hint on how to rest properly. So we need to take things in. We need to take in what he's created for us. Green pastures and still waters. They are beautiful. I don't know anyone on this earth, no matter how old you are, who can stand in front of one of those sunsets when the sky is burning red and go, everyone goes, whoa! A few weeks ago, I was looking out the office window at at home and I worked with my wife Jane and Dan Townley and the sun was shining and it started to rain really hard and I thought, there must be a rainbow. So I stuck my head out the window and it was really raining hard, it was really bright, double rainbow and we're like hanging out the window like look at that Jess has come down Joel's come down everyone's come down we're all standing in the garden look at the double rainbow we're all like whoa it's beautiful something in us kind of wants to just enjoy what he has created for us like green pastures still water different things recharge different people it might be for you art It might be sport, watch out for that one. I'm not convinced sport relaxes us very often. (laughs) Certainly watching it doesn't because I support Arsenal and they drive me mad. But different things, we've got different gifts and different things that recharge. My wife Jane is at her most rested when, on a Friday, she takes time out and goes and does pottery. And that's the time when she's most at rest. She's the most easy to be around. But she's at her most easy when she's just had some time to enjoy the creativity and beauty of what she can do in creating things with her hands and making these incredible things at pottery. So the reality, people, is that God is trying to tell me and you to rest right now. And for many of you, and for me, the enemy's telling you to ignore the nonsense that bloke at the front is talking about. You don't get me. Your life, my life is different. That is a lie. You were created by God, and he laid it down right at the beginning, and he told us to do it. Don't believe the lie that you're supposed to be somehow different from what God defined and designed. The regenerative, regenerative requirement that God had placed in all of us, we need to restore, and we need to refocus. So in order to nail this, and maybe I'm just trying to convince myself, and you're just listening to me minister to me myself, so enjoy that, but I doubt it. I think this is true for anything. Here's two things that woke me up when I was wrestling with this, because I was fighting with, I need to rest, but I struggle so hard to do it. Many times, Jesus rested. God himself rested. So why do I feel guilty for resting? And by the way, resting does not include being lazy. Don't feel guilty for resting. Rebuke it now, in Jesus' name. I have to, I'm rebuking it now. Not resting is comparable in God's economy to murder, adultery, theft, envy, and many other things. We say that must not happen. So by way of a double negative, God has made it totally clear, clear that we must not kill people and we must not not rest. We must not not rest. Ten commandments, look at them worship no other gods do not worship idols do not take the lord's name in vain honor your parents don't kill don't commit adultery don't steal don't lie don't covet and lust and remember to take, keep the sabbath keep it holy take rest so me you pick a sabbath day make it holy recharge refocus on god restore your mind your body and your soul Special note, at that point in my preach, I stopped typing, got up, went outside into the garden, realising here I am again. Just stopped when I had this to do, and it's always a bit of a pressurised thing. I actually went out to the front of the house and started digging out our driveway, which has got loads of moss in it. I found that quite therapeutic. Then I went and sat in the garden on a chair, sat down this is still sitting there crying to be done along with the diy mass project that we began yesterday screaming at me to be done i'm just sitting there in my garden going just let this soak into me stop being so stubborn right i can't pick a curry so even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The great middle section of Psalm 23. There, was a, there is a pub in uh, Old Reading, which is near where I live. If you know where Old Reading is, it's sort of between Watford and Harrow and Stanmore. It's sort of sat in the middle there. Uh, the pub's called The Case is Altered. And uh, it's been there for many years. I can remember going into it when I was younger. Um, they had a garden that you could go into as children, so it's been there for, for 40, 50 years at least. And about 10 to 12 years ago, it turned into a really good gastro pub, but it never really worked out financially, and I think it fell into, it fell into disrepute or whatever you call it, when it, sort of run down. And then about five or six years ago, they tried to turn it into a pub with Indian food. Um, and I went there with Jane and Dan. We decided to go for like a working lunch near Christmas, and we said, let's go out there and let's just try it out. And they brought out three menus, Drive Gordon Ramsay mad. They brought out three menus. And um, one was huge. That was like the main menu. It was really big and thick. And the second one, I think, might have been the speciality dishes. And that was fairly decent as well. Had quite a lot in it. And the third one had something like daily specials. It was like a few pages. So I've got three menus to look at. Um, Now, I am like anyone I look at the menu but I always order the same thing, <laughs> you know, this is what I normally do. But I do try and go for like a road dish every so often. I think let's just try something different. You know, let's just go through the list and let's just pick something. Well that was actually difficult. So hard. There was just way too much choice. There was too many things to look at. So it went on forever and I couldn't make a decision. And so you know rather than my calm order, which is standardly sheet kebab, chicken tikka masala, naan, and a sard paneer. The potential frenzied flicking to find the actual extra dish was too much. I couldn't pick a curry. I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> I just don't know what to have. It's just I can't find the road. I'll just forget it. Just order my normal thing. I can't do it. Indecision is like a stress. There's a moment of like, I just got so, I've got to pick. I've got this pressure on. There's too much choice. I don't know what quite to do. Um, when you're not sure what's going on or what you're doing or where you're going and there's pressure pushing behind you, it's just like when you're driving or you get to a fork in the road there's these things in life, and the stress of making those decisions can cause difficulty and stress. One of the most stressful pieces of road is actually a roundabout. If you come from America, you've never seen a roundabout. You come and say, what the hell do I do? Because it's just—it's like you've got to make decisions, and you've got to choose when to go, and it's just four exits, and it's quite difficult. That's the, and then there's cars behind you pushing up, and you're thinking, oh. And the, the more choice, the harder it becomes, like the magic roundabout, which I'm sure many of you know in Hemel. I can see the stress rising. Look, Gareth's like, ha-ha, that thing. It's, it's got 11 exits, because you've got these, plus you've got to choose which one. It goes on, it's like, ah. and the first time you drive up to it, it's like, what on earth am I supposed to do? And then some friend in the car tries to help, and they give you poor advice, and so now we're off down the wrong road, and I've got to go back to that thing again. The sat-nav advises us, but it's lagging behind, so rather than guide you, it just tells you you've just done the wrong turn, And now you've got to do a U-turn. That little screen hasn't caught up quite yet. See, feeling stressed about a roundabout. (laughs) Our lives could be a lot like that. So much choice from diet to gender, from coffee to marriage, from cereal to where you live. So much choice. And then so much advice, friends, family, TV and radio, social media, everyone and everything trying to express some kind of a view. Rick Warren, when he was preaching on this, simply said this, I recommend, as your friend and pastor, that you make God the number one source for guidance, not the opinions of your friends, not some pundit on television, but go to God for guidance, because he always, whether you like it or not, tells you the truth. Scripture says in in, uh, James 1, if a man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, and doesn't condemn them or criticize them. What does that actually mean? It means that if you admit you don't know what to do, he's not saying you should, you silly person. He won't condemn you. He won't criticize you. And there's a tough bit, the thing that we don't like. He answers with wisdom through the Word and the Spirit. I mean that everything you need to know is in the Bible. But sometimes you need help of the Spirit... And Google sometimes. But the help of the Spirit to make it make sense to you to find out what it means and internalize it and ultimately to execute it, to do what it says. And often it says the stuff you don't want it to say. There's a great book, by the way, I would recommend by Fillmore called Gagging Jesus. It's worth a read. It's all the things you wish Jesus didn't say, but he did. Because the Bible's full of stuff saying I want to do this, but the Bible says do that, and I'll just make my own compromises. The right thing's in the Bible. It's not on Facebook. It's not on social media. It isn't even in the advice of, of people who are counselling on various things. You want to look at the Word of God first and then compare that to what I'm being told. You and I need to ask for wisdom in prayer. Open the Word and do what it says. Sometimes we have to pray and we have to wait a while. Other times, he guides you right there, right then. Either way, whether it's an instant guidance or something you need to wait upon, and that's difficult for us these days, either way, you need to know that God gives wisdom at the right time through the right book and through the right people. So let me just say one more thing here as I come into my close. If you have someone who speaks into your life, and that can include me, and never refers to Scripture, be, oh, be warned. Be aware. Who never references stuff, you're thinking, that's biblically based and it's backed up by scripture. Be careful. Amen. Be very careful because Amen. the world's full of people who will tell you what to do because they think that's what you want to do. The Bible often tells you what you need to do when you don't really want to but it's the right advice from God who created us. You want wisdom? Pray, read and then wait on God. Let me close and give us a little bit of time for some prayer. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let me wrap this up, and then we're going to invite you forward for prayer. The band are going to come up and play a short song. Um, if we can do the one we were going to do, let my words be few, that would be appropriate, yeah. So I'll, give, I'll call you up in a minute. But we're going to sing that song together. And then I'm going to ask them to carry on playing and I want you to come forward. I'll call you forward for, for prayer. If you're somebody saying, this stuff, yeah, I know it, but I struggle with it. Being stressed, yeah. You know, I don't care on what scale you classify that as, whether you're off work or whether it's just something you're struggling with da- daily. I'd love to pray over us. And if you want to stay behind, the prayer team will be here as well and they can pray into specifics with you. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come into this room right now. I believe he's already been here. Right now, help you get up off your feet. And be ready to receive and respond. Here's my final thought. In my line of work, I preach, I teach. Sorry, I preach um, for you, but I teach. That's what I do. I'm a trainer. Pretty senior people in big corporations, and I often talk to them about how to change the environment or the culture of their workplace. I teach them this, um, which is appropriate in light of Psalm 23. Uh, and what I've said today. A little bit like what Aaron shared last week, but it's a shorter version of what we teach. We say this, routines create habits, and habits create a culture, a way of life. In other words, if you want a new way of life, a new culture to live in, a new way of doing things, then it comes from a habit, and in order to create those habits, you need to look at the routines. So this is what I want to say. In summary, to reduce or eliminate worry, that's the culture you want. I worship God and I give thanks. That's the habit I want to get into. Then I'm going to change my routine. I start my day with a worship song and a prayer of thanks. I've begun doing that this week. You might be surprised. that no, it's not my normal routine. My normal routine is news, which basically means my day starts with Donald Trump or something that's going to really not bless me. I have refused to do that. Now the phone comes out and I don't look at the Facebook I flick it on, I hit my Spotify Christian playlist and I, just hit the, and I just lay there and I start to pray before I do whatever I would normally do. Now that takes five minutes. If you don't have that five minutes now, get out five minutes earlier and do it. But look at the routine that you have for the way you start your day. To reduce and eliminate hurry, that's the culture we want, that's the life we want. The habit I want to take is that I take time to recharge, refocus, and restore. The routine we have to accept is instill a Sabbath rest once a week. That's really difficult for me, and I'm pretty poor at it sometimes, but I have made a determined effort, and I will continue. You can check up with me on that one. The last one. The culture you want is to reduce and eliminate indecision, the stress of indecision. The habit I want to get into is I seek God as my one source of guidance. Then the routine we need to get into is I pray. I read and I wait on God for guidance daily. If you don't want any of those cultures to be part of your life, leave the routines alone. But if you want, it, you want a new habit, you're going to have to look at the routines that you have and I have. So ban if you want to come back up, they're going to lead us in a song. And at the end of that song, as we move into just some time of music, I'm going to invite you forward to come forward and pray. Anyone who feels life has just got too much worry, too much hurry, and you struggle to know which way to go at times or what to do about things, I'm going to invite you forward in a little while to come forward for prayer.